Chapter Twenty of the Seats of the Mighty by Gilbert Parker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The governor visited me. His attitude was marked by nothing so much as a supercilious courtesy, a manner which said, "You must see I am not to be trifled with, and though I have you here in my chateau." It is that I may make a fine scorching of you in the end. He would make of me an example to amaze and instruct the nations, when I was robust enough to die. I might easily have flattered myself on being an object of interest to the eyes of nations. I almost pitied him, for he appeared so lost in self-admiration and the importance of his office that he would never see disaster when it came. There is but one master here in Canada, he said and I am he. If things go wrong, it is because my orders are not obeyed. Your people have taken Louisbourg. Had I been there, it should never have been given up. Drucour was hasty. He listened to the women. I should allow no woman to move me. I should be inflexible. They might send two Amhersts and two wolves against me. I would hold my fortress." they will never send two your excellency said i he did not see the irony and he prattled on that wolf they tell me is bandy-legged is no better than a girl at sea and never well ashore i am always in raw health the strong mind and the potent body had i been at Louisbourg, i should have held it as i held ticonderoga last july and drove the English back with monstrous slaughter. Here was news. I had had no information in many months, and all at once two great facts were brought to me. Your Excellency, then, was at Ticonderoga? said I. I sent Montcalm to defend it, he replied pompously. I told him how he must act. I was explicit, and it came out as I had said. We were victorious. Yet he would have done better had he obeyed me in everything. If I had been at Louisbourg, I could not at first bring myself to flatter the vice-regal peacock, for it had been my mind to fight these Frenchmen always, to yield in nothing, to defeat them like a soldier, not like a juggler. But I brought myself to say half ironically, if all great men had capable instruments, they would seldom fail. "'You have touched the heart of the matter,' he said credulously. "'It is a pity,' he added, with complacent severity, "'that you have been so misguided and criminal. "'You have, in some things, more sense than folly.' "'I bowed as to a compliment from a great man. "'Then, all at once, I spoke to him with an air of apparent frankness, "'and said that if I must die, I cared to do so like a gentleman.' with some sort of health, and not like an invalid. He must admit that at least I was no coward. He might fence me about with what guards he chose, but I prayed him to let me walk upon the ramparts, when I was strong enough to be abroad, under all due espionage. I had already suffered many deaths, I said, and I would go to the final one looking like a man, and not like an outcast of humanity. Ah, I have heard this before said he. Monsieur Doltaire, who is in prison here, and is to fare on to the Bastille, 
was insolent enough to send me message yesterday that I should keep you close in your dungeon. But I had had enough of Monsieur Doltaire, and indeed it was through me that the Grand Marquis had him called to Durance. He was a muddler here. They must not interfere with me. I am not to be cajoled or crossed in my plans. We shall see. We shall see about the ramparts, he continued. Meanwhile, prepare to die. This he said with such importance that I almost laughed in his face. But I bowed with a sort of awed submission, and he turned and left the room. I grew stronger slowly day by day, but it was quite a month before Alixe came again. Sometimes I saw her walking on the banks of the river, and I was sure she was there that I might see her, though she made no sign towards me, nor ever seemed to look towards my window. Spring was now fully come. The snow had gone from the ground, the tender grass was springing, the air was so soft and kind. One fine day, at the beginning of May, I heard the booming of cannons and a great shouting, and, looking out, I could see crowds of people upon the banks, and many boats in the river, where yet the ice had not entirely broken up. By stretching from my window, through the bars of which I could get my head, but not my body, I noted a squadron sailing round the point of the island of Orléans. I took it to be a fleet from France bearing reinforcements and supplies, as indeed afterwards I found was so. But the reinforcements were so small and the supplies so limited that it is said Montcalm, when he knew, cried out, Now is all lost. Nothing remains but to fight and die. I shall see my beloved Candiac no more. For the first time all the English colonies had combined against Canada. Vaudreuil and Montcalm were at variance, and Vaudreuil had, through his personal hatred and envy of Montcalm, signed the death-warrant of the colony by writing to the colonial minister that Montcalm's agents, going for succor, were not to be trusted. Yet at that moment I did not know these things, and the sight made me grave, though it made me sure also that this year would find the British battering this same chateau. Presently there came word from the governor that I might walk upon the ramparts, and I was taken forth for several hours each day always however under strict surveillance my guards well armed attending while the ramparts were as usual patrolled by soldiers i could see that ample preparations were being made against a siege and every day the excitement increased i got to know more definitely of what was going on when under vigilance i was allowed to speak to lieutenant stevens who also was permitted some such freedom as i had enjoyed when i first came to quebec he had private information that General Wolfe, or General Amherst, was likely to proceed against Quebec from Louisbourg, and he was determined to join the expedition. For months he had been maturing plans for escape. There was one Clark, a ship-carpenter, of whom I have before written, and two other bold spirits, who were sick of captivity, and it was intended to fare forth one night and make a run for freedom. Clark had had a notable plan. A wreck of several transports had occurred at Belle Isle, and it was thought to send him down the river with a sloop to bring back the crew, and break up the wreck. It was his purpose to arm the sloop with Lieutenant Stevens and some English prisoners the night before she was to sail, 
and steal away with her down the river but whether or not the authorities suspected him the command was given to another it was proposed however on a dark night to get away to some point on the river where a boat should be stationed though that was a difficult matter for the river was well patrolled and boats were scarce and drift quietly down the stream till a good distance below the city mr stevens said he had delayed the attempt on the faint hope of fetching me along money he said was needed for clark and all were very poor and common necessaries were now at exorbitant prices in the country tyranny and robbery had made corn and clothing luxuries all the old tricks of bigot and his la friponne which after the outbreak the night of my arrest at the signore duvarney's had been somewhat repressed were in full swing again and robbery in the name of providing for defence was the only habit i managed to convey to mr stevens a good sum of money and begged him to meet me every day upon the ramparts until i also should see my way to making a dot for freedom i advised him in many ways for he was more bold than shrewd and i made him promise that he would not tell clark or the others that i was to make trial to go with them i feared the accident of disclosure and any new failure on my part to get away would i knew mean my instant death consent of king or no consent one evening a soldier entered my room whom in the half-darkness i did not recognize till a voice said there's orders new no dungeon now but this room governor bespeaks for a gentleman from france and where am i to go gabord where you will have fighting he answered with whom yourself oh. a queer smile crossed his lips and was followed by a sort of sternness there was something graver in his manner than i had ever seen i could not guess his meaning at last he added pulling roughly at his moustache and when that's done if not well done to answer to gabor the soldier for god take my soul without bed going but i will tell you to account that seigneur's home is no place for you you speak in riddles said i then all at once the matter burst upon me the governor quarters me at the seigneurio de varney's i asked no other answered he in three days to go i understood him now he had had a struggle knowing of the relations between alix and myself to avoid telling the governor all and now if i involved her used her to effect my escape from her father's house even his peasant brain saw my difficulty the danger to my honour and hers in spite of the joy i felt at being near her seeing her i shrank from the situation if i escaped from the signoro duvarney's it would throw suspicion upon him upon alix and that made me stand abashed inside the signoro duvarney's house i should now feel unhappy bound to certain calls of honour concerning his daughter and himself i stood long thinking gabo watching me finally gabo said i i give you my word of honour that i will not put mademoiselle or monsieur duvarney in peril you will not try to escape not to use them for escape to elude my guards to fight my way to liberty yes 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 
for that means not who's to know the lady did not help you 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 are to be my jailer again there he nodded and fell to pulling his moustache tis not enough he said decisively come then said i i will strike a bargain with you if you will grant me one thing i will give you my word of honour not to escape from the seigneur's house Sion. you tell me i am not to go to the seigneur's for three days yet arrange that mademoiselle may come to me to-morrow at dusk at six o'clock when all the world dines and i will give you my word no more do i ask you only that done said he it shall be so you will fetter yourself i asked on the stroke of six god changes then here our talk ended he went and i plunged deep into my great plan for all at once as we had talked came a thing to me which i shall make clear ere long i set my wits to work once since my coming to the chateau i had been visited by the english chaplain who had been a prisoner at the citadel the year before he was now on parole and had freedom to come and go in the town the governor had said he might visit me on a certain day every week at a fixed hour and the next day at five o'clock was the time appointed for his second visit gabble had promised to bring alix to me at six the following morning i met mr stephen on the ramparts i told him it was my purpose to escape the next night if possible if not i must go to the signora duvarney's where i should be on parole to gabble i bade him fulfil my wishes to the letter for on his boldness and my own and the courage of his men i depended for escape he declared himself ready to risk all and die in the attempt if need be for he was sick of idleness he could he said mature his plans that day if he had more money i gave him secretly a small bag of gold and then i made explicit note of what i required of him that he should tie up in a loose but safe bundle a sheet a woman's skirt some river grasses and reeds some phosphorus a pistol and a knife and some saltpetre and other chemicals that evening about nine o'clock which was the hour the guard changed he was to tie this bundle to a string which i let down from my window and i would draw it up then the night following the others must steal away to that place near sillery the west side of the town was always ill-guarded and wait there with a boat he should see me at a certain point on the ramparts and well armed we also would make our way to sillery and from the spot called the anse du foulon drift down the river in the dead of night he promised to do all as i wished the rest of the day i spent in my room fashioning strange toys out of willow rods i had got these rods from my guards to make whistles for their children and they had carried away many of them but now with pieces of a silk handkerchief tied to the whistle and filled with air i made a toy which when squeezed sent out a weird lament once when my guard came in i pressed one of these things in my pocket and it gave forth a sort of smothered cry like a sick child at this he started and looked round the room in trepidation for of all peoples these canadian frenchmen are the most superstitious 
and may be worked on without limit the cry had seemed to come from a distance i looked around also and appeared serious and he asked me if i had heard the thing before once or twice said i then you are a dead man said he tis a warning that maybe it is not i but one of you i answered then with a sort of hush is it like the cry of le jongleuse i added le jongleuse is the fabled witch or spirit of disaster he nodded his head crossed himself mumbled a prayer and turned to go but he came back i'll fetch a crucifix he said you are a heathen and you bring her hair she is the devil's dam he left with a scared face and i laughed to myself quietly for i saw success ahead of me true to his word he brought a crucifix and put it up not where he wished but at my request opposite the door upon the wall he crossed himself before it and was most devout it looked singular to see this big rough soldier who was in most things a swaggerer so childlike in all that touched his religion with this you could fetch him to his knees with it i would cow him that i might myself escape at half-past five the chaplain came having been delayed by the guard to have his order endorsed by captain lancy of the governor's household to him i told my plans so far as i thought he should know them and then i explained what i wished him to do he was grave and thoughtful for some minutes but at last consented he was a pious man and of as honest a heart as i have known albeit narrow and confined which sprang perhaps from his provincial practice and his theological cutting and trimming we were in the midst of a serious talk wherein i urged him upon the matters which shall presently be set forth when there came a noise outside i begged him to retire to the alcove where my bed was and draw the curtain for a few moments nor come forth until i called he did so yet i thought it hurt his sense of dignity to be shifted to a bedroom as he disappeared the door opened and gabo and alix entered one half hour said gabo and went out again presently alix told me her story i have not been idle robert but i could not act for my father and mother suspect my love for you i have come but little to the chateau without them and i was closely watched i knew not how the thing would end but i kept up my workings with the governor which is easier now monsieur doter is gone and i got you the freedom to walk upon the ramparts well once before my father suspected me i said that if his excellency disliked your being in the chateau you could be as well guarded in my father's house with sentinels always there until you could in better health be taken to the common jail again what was my surprise when yesterday came word to my father that he should make ready to receive you as a prisoner being sure that he his excellency's cousin the father of the man you had injured and the most loyal of frenchmen would guard you diligently he now needed all extra room in the chateau for the entertainment of gentlemen and officers lately come from france when my father got the news he was thrown into dismay he knew not what to do on what ground could he refuse the governor yet when he thought of me he felt it his duty to do so again on what ground could he refuse this boon to you to whom we all owe the blessing of his life on my brother's account 
but my brassia has written to my father justifying you and magnanimously praising you as a man while hating you as an english soldier on my account but he could not give this reason to the governor as for me i was silent i waited and i wait i know not what will be the end meanwhile preparations go on to receive you i could see that alix's mood was more tranquil since doltaire was gone a certain restlessness had vanished her manner had much dignity and every movement a peculiar grace and elegance she was dressed in a soft cloth of grey tone touched off with red and slashed with gold and a cloak of grey trimmed with fur with bright silver buckles hung loosely on her thrown off at one shoulder there was a sweet disorder in the hair which indeed was prettiest when freest when she had finished speaking she looked at me as i thought with a little anxiety alix i said we have come to the crossroads and the way we choose now is for all time she looked up startled yet governing herself and her hand sought mine and nestled there i feel that too she replied what is it robert i cannot in honour escape from your father's house i cannot steal his daughter and his safety too you must escape she interrupted firmly from here from the citadel from anywhere but your house and so i will not go to it you will not go to it she repeated slowly and strangely how may you not you are a prisoner if they make my father your jailer she laughed i owe that jailer and that jailer's daughter you owe them your safety and your freedom oh robert i know i know what you mean but what care i what the world may think by and by or to-morrow or to-day my conscience is clear your father i persisted she nodded yes yes you speak truth alas and yet you must be freed and here she got to her feet and with flashing eyes spoke out and you shall be set free let come what will i owe my first duty to you though all the world shatter and i will not stir from that as soon as i can make it possible you shall escape you shall have the right to set me free said i if i must go to your father's house and if i do not go there but out to my own good country you shall still have the right before all the world to follow or to wait till i come to fetch you i do not understand you robert said she i do not here she broke off looking looking at me and trembling a little then i stooped and whispered softly in her ear she gave a little cry and drew back from me yet instantly her hand came out and caught my arm robert robert i cannot i dare not she cried softly no no it may not be she added in a whisper of fear i went to the alcove drew back the curtain and asked mr wainfleet to step forth sir said i picking up my prayer-book and putting it in his hands i beg you to marry this lady and myself he paused dazed marry you here now he asked shakingly before ten minutes go round this lady must be my wife said i mademoiselle duvarney you he began be pleased dear sir 
to open the book at wilt thou have said i the lady is a catholic she has not the consent of her people but when she is my wife made so by you whose consent need we ask can you not tie us fast enough a man and woman of sense sufficient but you must pause here is the knot you tie safe against picking and stealing i had touched his vanity and his ecclesiasticism married by me he replied once chaplain to the bishop of london you have a knot that no sword can cut i am in full orders my parish is in boston itself you will hand a certificate to my wife to-morrow and you will uphold this marriage against all gossip asked i against all france and all england he answered roused now then come i urged but i must have a witness he interposed opening the book you shall have one in due time said i go on when the marriage is performed and at the point where you shall proclaim us man and wife i will have a witness i turned to alixe and found her pale and troubled oh robert robert she cried it cannot be now now i am afraid for the first time in my life clear the first time dearest lass in the world i said it must be i shall not go to your father's to-morrow night i make my great stroke for freedom and when i am free i shall return to fetch my wife you will try to escape from here to-morrow she asked her face flushing finely i will escape or die i answered but i shall not think of death come come and say with me that we shall part no more in spirit no more that whatever comes you and i have fulfilled our great hope though under the shadow of the sword at that she put her hand in mine with pride and sweetness and said i am ready robert i give my heart my life and my honour to you forever then with great sweetness and solemnity she turned to the clergyman sir my honour is also in your hands if you have mother or sister or any care of souls upon you i pray you in the future act as becomes good men mademoiselle he said earnestly i am risking my freedom maybe my life in this do you think here she took his hand and pressed it ah i ask your pardon i am of a different faith from you and i have known how men forget when they should remember she smiled at him so perfectly that he drew himself up with pride make haste sir said i jailers are curious folk the room was not yet lighted the evening shadows were creeping in and up out of the town came the ringing of the vesper bell from the church of the recollets for a moment there was stillness in the room and all around us and then the chaplain began in a low voice i require and charge you both and so on in a few moments i had made the great vow and had put on alixe's finger a ring which the clergyman drew from his own hand then we knelt down and i know we both prayed most fervently with the good man that we might ever remain in perfect love and perfect peace together rising he paused 
and I went to the door and knocked upon it. It was opened by Gabot. "'Come in, Gabot,' said I. "'There is a thing that you must hear.' He stepped back and got a light, and then entered, holding it up and shutting the door. A strange look came upon his face when he saw the chaplain, and a stranger when, stepping beside Alix, I took her hand, and Mr. Wainfleet declared us man and wife. He stood like one dumbfounded, and he did not stir as Alix, turning to me, let me kiss her on the lips, and then went to the crucifix on the wall and embraced the feet of it, and stood for a moment, praying. Nor did he move or make a sign till she came back and stood beside me. A pretty scene. He burst forth then with anger. But, by God, no marriage is it. Alix's hand tightened on my arm, and she drew close to me. A marriage that will stand at judgment day, Gabot, said I. But not in France or here. Tis mating wild with end of doom. It is a marriage our great archbishop at Lambeth Palace will uphold against a hundred popes and kings, said the chaplain with importance. You are no priest, but holy peddler, cried Gabo roughly. This is not mating as Christians, and fires of ill shall burn. Aho! I will see you all go down, and end of mine shall not be lifted for you. He puffed out his cheeks, and his great eyes rolled so like fire-wheels. "'You are a witness to this ceremony,' said the chaplain. "'And you shall answer to your God, but you must speak the truth for this man and wife.' "'Man and wife!' <laughs> laughed Gabble wildly. "'May I die, and be damned, too!' Like a flash, Alix was beside him, and put to his lips most swiftly the little wooden cross that Matilda had given her. Gobble, gobble, she said in a sweet, sad voice. When you may come to die, a girl's prayers will be waiting at God's feet for you. He stopped and stared at her. Her hand lay on his arm, and she continued. No night gives me sleep, Gobble, but I pray for the jailer who has been kind to an ill-treated gentleman. The juggling gentleman that cheats Gobble before his eyes and smuggles in a mongrel priest he blustered i waved my hand at the chaplain or i think he would have put his prayer-book to rougher use than was its wont and i was about to answer but alix spoke instead and to greater purpose than i could have done her whole mood changed her face grew still and proud her eyes flashed bravely gabo she said vanity speaks in you there not honesty no gentleman here is a juggler. No kindness you may have done warrants insolence. You have the power to bring great misery on us, and you may have the will. But, by God's help, both my husband and myself shall be delivered from cruel hands. At any moment I may stand alone in the world, friends, people, the church, and all the land against me. If you desire to haste that time, to bring me to disaster, because you would injure my husband— how sweet the name sounded on her lips. Then act, but do not insult us. But no, no, she broke off softly. You spoke in temper, you meant it not. You were but vexed with us for the moment. Dear Gobble, she added, did we not know that if we had asked you first, you would have refused us? You care so much for me, 
you would have feared my linking my life and fate with one with one a death man has in hand to pay price for wicked deed he interrupted with one innocent of all dishonour a gentleman wronged every way gabo you know it so for you have guarded him and fought with him and you are an honourable gentleman she added gently no gentleman i he burst forth but gila base and soldier born upon a truss of a but honour is an apple any man may eat since adam walked in garden tis honest foe here he continued magnanimously and nodded towards me we would have told you all she said but how dare we involve you or how dare we tempt you or how dare we risk your refusal it was love and truth drove us to this and god will bless this mating as the birds mate even as he gives honour to gabo who was born upon a truss of hay pom said gabo puffing out his cheeks and smiling on her with a look half sour and yet with a dog-like fondness gabo's mouth is shut till the head is off and then to tell the tale to twelve apostles through his wayward elusive speech we found his meaning he would keep faith with us and be best proof of this marriage at risk of his head even as we spoke the chaplain was writing in the blank four pages of the prayer-book presently he said to me handing me the pen which he had picked from a table inscribe your names here it is a rough record of the ceremony but it will suffice before all men when to-morrow i have given mistress moray another record we wrote our names and then the pen was handed to gabo he took it and at last with many flourishes and a hose and by dint of puffings and rolling eyes he wrote his name so large that it filled as much space as the other names and all the writing and was indeed like a huge endorsement across the record when this was done alix held out her hand to him will you kiss me gabo she said the great soldier was all taken back he flushed like a schoolboy yet a big humour and pride looked out of his eyes i owe you for the sables too she said but kiss me not on my ears as the russian count kissed gabo but on both cheek this won him to our cause utterly and i never think of gabo as i saw him last in the sway and carnage of battle fighting with wild uproar and covered with wounds but the memory of that moment when he kissed my young wife comes back to me at that he turned to leave i'll hold the door for ten minutes he added and bowed to the chaplain who blessed us then with tears in his eyes and smiled a little to my thanks and praises and purse of gold and to alix's sweet gratitude with lifting chin good honest gentleman who afterwards proved his fidelity and truth he said that he would die to uphold this sacred ceremony and so he made a little speech as if he had a pulpit round him and he wound up with a benediction which sent my dear girl to tears and soft trembling the lord bless you and keep you the lord make his face to shine upon you the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace now and for evermore a moment afterwards the door closed and for ten minutes i looked into my wife's face and told her my plans for escape when gabo opened the door upon us we had passed through years of understanding and resolve our parting was brave 
a bravery on her side that I do not think any other woman could match. She was quivering with the new life come upon her, yet she was self-controlled. She moved as in a dream, yet I knew her mind was alert, vigilant, and strong. She was aching with thought of this separation, with the peril that faced us both, yet she carried a quiet joy in her face, a tranquil gravity of bearing. Whom God hath joined, said I gravely at last. Let no man put asunder, she answered softly and solemnly. Oh, said Gabord, and turned his head away. Then the door shut upon me, and though I am no Catholic, I have no shame in saying that I kissed the feet on the crucifix which her lips had blessed. End of chapter 20